Listeners, hello and welcome to this week's episode of 321Go Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scanlon. Hey, so we're joined today by Eli Slosberg. Eli is the owner of MDI Apparel. Uh, this show is about Eli's experience as an entrepreneur and business owner. Eli shares a story of how he came to get back into his family business of custom apparel. But really, in a broad sense, this show is valuable to a lot of our audience for a lot of different reasons. Uh, you know, I maybe went into this show with a preconceived notion of what we're going to talk about. But as you'll see in the episode, really, this is an episode that is all about you know, having your eye on the horizon, looking toward the future, you know, in respect to what you want your business to be, like what do you want it to become? Maybe you have this vision of something and changing that path as as things happen, continually evaluating. So it's cool because when you hear Eli talk, you can tell that he's got these core values that he sticks to, but the business in which he lives those core values changes. The methodology in which he applies customer service to his business, those things change. The, the tactics change. The strategy can change, but the core values do not change. So for all of us, I think we've maybe thought about core values before in the past. And Eli kind of paints a picture of, hey, you know, I evaluated my business as I went on, and I actually changed businesses. I sold my affiliate, uh, and, and I made a shift here. But the core values stay the same, which I think is a really cool lesson for a lot of us to hear. Other things that we hit on in this episode, we talk about owning a gym, what that means. Uh, we talk about that grind, the stress that's involved in that. We talk about partnerships. You know What happens when a partnership goes south? What are some things you need to think about in a partnership uh, before you get into one, uh, those of you that are on our hub platform, you know we've had some really interesting discussions on partnerships lately. Uh, I actually have a great document in the hub that is sort of a template for outlining partnership responsibilities, what happens when things go south. So you can prevent some of these things that we hear about when uh, partnerships go bad. So if you're looking to, you know, sublet your space to a massage therapist or bring somebody on as a, as a business partner, bring on an investor, highly recommend you download this uh, formation template for a, spot, for a partnership so that you can get a good idea of what you're getting into and you guys can outline expectations, lines of communication going forward. So... Again, Eli Slosberg, awesome guest today, legit stand-up dude, uh, MDI Apparel. There'll be a link to MDI Apparel's website in the show notes if you want to check them out. I do have to give a very personal shout-out to everybody who is on the tail end of our 21-day marketing challenge. Honestly, guys, you've really inspired me. Uh in a weird way, I went into this marketing challenge thinking that we would just be, te- oh, I'm going to teach people how to do Facebook ads or whatever the case may be, right? Uh, but w- what it's really turned out to be is this awesome look and assessment of how we sort of spend our time 
how do we plan things? Do we react to things? Do we get the shiny object syndrome where we see, oh, one gym's doing this challenge. I got to do this challenge kind of thing. Or are we actually just kind of sitting down, uh, being true to our values and creating a marketing strategy accordingly? So uh, I hope everybody that's participated in it, thank you so much. Thank you to everybody that's been sharing things in our hub think tank uh, everybody that's taken a search engine course, everybody that's taken our Facebook ads course, all of that stuff, everybody that's dialed in their sales processes as a result of this, everybody that shared their sales process with one another. like You guys are awesome. You guys kick ass, and you've really uh, inspired me. So uh, I want to thank everybody for uh, taking part in our 21-day marketing challenge. And just let you guys know, at, at the end of this 21 days, that's when the real work begins. So stick with it. You know, it's just like a nutrition challenge. It's not the six weeks of the nutrition challenge that matters. It's what you do with the rest of the year. So it's what you do with 2018 that counts at this point. If you didn't participate in the 21-day marketing challenge, all of the materials, all of the webinars, everything is available on our hub platform, 321goproject.com slash hub. If you're ready to execute, if you don't maybe necessarily can't afford the costs of a one-on-one business mentor, maybe you don't need that level of hand-holding. Hey, guys, I just need templates. I need education. I need courses, whatever the case may be. We've got a course for uh, you know increasing profitability using the Profit First model. We've got these marketing courses. We've got all of these webinars, um, all of this stuff lives on the hub platform uh easily the most cost effective business and marketing uh resource available to gym owners again 321goproject.com slash hub if you're interested in changing the game a little bit in 2018 additionally i would like to give a big shout out for uh, to today's partner embody usa they've got a special offer for our listeners uh, there's a link in the show notes if you're interested. In body, for those that don't know, it is a bioelectrical impedance scanner. It is a, a high-value item if you're looking to really step up the game with nutrition services, providing body composition analysis for your members. Uh, again, it's a high-value. It's a high-price item. I'm not going to lie. It's not a magic bullet. This isn't going to uh, revolutionize your business, but it is an amazing tool if you're kind of at the place in your business where you're ready to reinvest into some of this stuff. So they've got a special offer running for our listeners in December. Again, link in the show notes if you want to find out more. Uh, so again, a big thank you to Embody USA for helping us bring you today's show. And now without further ado, uh, super thankful, Mr. Eli Slosberg from MDI Apparel Enjoy the show, guys, and we'll see you next week. Paul Bunyan Fitness. What a great name. <laughs> cool logo, too. Uh, I, I dig it, man. Paul Bunyan Fitness. That sounds like, I don't know, one of two things. It's either hipsters or actual lumberjacks. Either way. You know, you've got they're your top. probably they're probably uh, hipsters with uh, like suede chukka shoes <laughs> and clean fingernails. Yeah, never never swung an axe before. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know if they're gonna. Just, I don't know if they're gonna listen to any of this stuff. So 
Let's hope this is like a, this is pretty good free advertising for uh, Paul Bunyan Fitness. I don't know if like any of their potential members listen to this show, but uh, a cool name nonetheless. But all right, let's get officially started, Eli. Uh, this is a three, two, one, go podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scanlon, and we're joined by Eli. I want to make sure I get your name right. Slossberg, is that correct? Yes. Slossberg, yep. All right, sir. Welcome. Uh, Eli is the owner of MDI Apparel, which we're going to get into, but uh, I'm really excited, Eli, to talk about entrepreneurship in general with you. You have been involved in, uh, you know, this is your third business that you've owned. You have done business with family members. You've had some partnerships uh, dissolve. Uh, A lot of interesting things that I think our audience will be able to glean a lot from. Um, So, Eli, I want to get a quick little backstory on you. Uh, How did you get started in the apparel business and then work your way backwards from there? So, yeah, I I guess technically I got started in the apparel business because of owning a CrossFit gym and going through that struggle that we all, or most of us, go through trying to figure it out on such a small scale. Um, And the confidence of even getting into this business was actually from uh, working for my father. Um, my father, I think is like third or fourth generation uniform and apparel um, company from his father's father. And um, as much as I tried to steer clear of it, somehow through a passion of mine, CrossFit, I ended up selling t-shirts, um, which was, I don't know, it was just kind of funny because I just didn't see myself doing that. But that's, that's kind of where we started. We just, I, I got into the apparel thing as we were dissolving the partnership with the CrossFit gym. And it just, you know, the culmination of being in the apparel industry, uniforms, learning that, the manufacturing side of things, warehousing, sales, websites, uh, along with now understanding the CrossFit gym space. And, um, you know, even going back further, having a background in the insurance and financial industry, just from a I don't know, a numbers perspective that we all kind of need as business owners. It just, I don't know, the, the pieces I think finally came together for something that I was doing. I like this. So you have mentioned that, so MDI Apparel is the, the third business that you've been uh, an owner of. What was the first of those three? <laughs> the first actually um, is when I got out of the Marine Corps, I got all of my licensing for becoming a financial advisor. And I started embarking on that journey on my own and then ended up working for my sister, not a partner, but in essence, helping her set everything up and kind of being the the backbone of the systems and processes and a lot of the things that we all talk about just in business in general. And um, the, that whole experience led into me eventually, um, I don't know, long story short, moving out to Las Vegas and starting a farmer's insurance agency in January of 2008 when the world was coming to um, an end financially, globally, in the worst city that you could possibly be in. Um, Yeah, so that was my first experience into the, the business ownership space. Describe to us what it was like being... So you come out of the Marine Corps, you get all of your certification to become a financial planner, financial advisor. 
What was that experience like? Was is that heavy? I, I'm guessing that's a pretty heavy on sales. I mean, what does the the gist of that business look like? Um, yeah, it's it's I don't know. It's relationship sales. Um, it's the thing we talk about in all the forums with all the owners, where people are like, "I'm I'm a coach, and I'm just going to do a good job," and all this other stuff. And the other people chime in, and they go, "Well, you're selling yourself, whether you like it or not. You're selling you. You're selling your services, your gym." Uh, so it was very intensive relationship sales, like figuring out who they are, where they want to be, what they want to do, and uh, pulling on those heartstrings. And I, I identify wholeheartedly with you know most of the fitness entrepreneurs having tried that route as well, but just never considering myself a sales guy. Mm. Like I, I just never, I, ne- I don't know. I I've been doing sales my whole life, which is funny, but just never considered myself to be sales but that's all it was it was cold calling and helping people with their journey financially basically and then you decide to get into the insurance game why why insurance from there um i spent a lot of my life listening to peers that were ahead of me age-wise ahead of me business-wise and i was following the money Hmm. um and i was following their their experience and they were helping me along the way. And I think I was going about starting businesses and doing things kind of for the wrong reasons. Um, and, and again, it was financially driven. And ultimately I think that was the doom of the first business because it wasn't when when you don't have the, when you don't have the right dream, the passion, the drive, like for that, you just don't put the effort into, you know, creating the things that you need to, to make yourself unique and set yourself apart. So. It's it's an interesting thing because I feel like there's some parallels here with a lot how a lot of people get into CrossFit, like into owning a CrossFit gym. And follow me along here and let me know if any of this sounds familiar, Eli. Um, so on one hand, I think that there are members I'll say I, I was probably guilty of this as well. You know, I'm not gonna say that I that I'm above this. I think there were members of CrossFit affiliates that did some quick math, right? So I'm paying 200 bucks a month. I look around, huh, seems to be about 100 members here. Boom, like that sounds amazing. That's, you know, that's 20 grand a month in revenue. And you're like, you know, how could you not just make a ton of money doing this? Is, you know, this, this gym owner's probably making money hand over fist. This is awesome. I love CrossFit. I want to get into this game. Sound familiar? Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So absolutely, uh, I think that on one hand, uh, a lot of people did that math, and when when I teach people like basic business accounting, I sort of tell them that uh, as the business owner, you're the only one that sees the expense side of your ledger, right? Right. Uh, so I want like using that as, as a frame of reference, and then I want to circle back around to the passion side of things. Uh, you you had mentioned that you went down the road of financial planning and went down the road of insurance, and you kind of were, in your mind, following the money. And then, as you said, you found yourself in this recession that I think a lot of us found ourselves in, and we're kind of like, "Oh shit, what now? Like this this is not what I thought it would be." What you know? What happened when when you, as you said, you were in Vegas, you get into the insurance game, and then maybe found out what maybe the money wasn't there or or you know, what was, what was the story with that? 
it was a fear. It was a fear factor, yeah. uh, right? Because I had chased the business and started it really primarily for the wrong reasons. And as a as a new insurance agent, in the worst financial time in my lifetime, at least, uh, we actually did really, really well. Um, but when all that stuff started happening, you started kind of like looking at your surroundings and saying, okay, well, really, what am I doing? And I was hitting a pivotal point with the business to where I was either um, keep doing it. And, you know, I had done it for two years, basically. And it was either pivot and really find the thing that I want to go do or um, stick with this. Because once you kind of go past two years in the insurance game, you, you'd kind of be dumb to start over. Um, and that's kind of when I went back and started talking to my father, thinking about being the third and fourth generation apparel guy in the family and uh, went down that route. And, you know, that was like the next phase. And we just, you know, just transitioned into a completely different industry, something that I had no, I, I mean, I knew the basics about business and all of that, but just got thrown into it. So now let's go to the complete other side of that coin. All right. So, you know, I, I had sort of mentioned that there are members of CrossFit affiliates everywhere that do this quick math, right? Uh, I pay 200 right. bucks a month times 100 members, whatever the case may be. Uh, and <clears throat> I think on the flip side of that, I have seen – here's a great uh, – all right, here's a great example. Uh, you know, it, in the financial services uh, arena, I think there are a right. lot of people that make a lot of money in financial yep. services. I also see those people who just have like, I mean, honestly, like more money than is really necessary for any person to, to, to have. And they, they do CrossFit and they're like, I am in love with CrossFit. I need to, I need to own a CrossFit gym because that is the key to my passion. And I see this right. a lot. Like people quit these amazing jobs where they're making a ton of money and kind of believe that they understand business because they're making all of this money. And really, that doesn't equate with actually what it looks like to, to oh, no, not at all. start and operate a business. So they're super heavy on passion, but really light on execution. Right. So right. this is a flip side of that coin of like feeling super <laughs> passionate about this thing. But your business kind of sucks because you actually don't know how to start and scale and maintain a business. So can you speak to that on the flip side of the, you know, I have no passion for this thing to where I'm long on passion, short on execution? Oh, yeah. I mean, when we that fit us to the T as a CrossFit box owner, I mean, honestly, I we were approached by friends who were um you know, almost twice our age, technically, almost like they were 20 years older than us. They're the ones who technically had the money and, you know, the ability just to fund it, whether it was successful or not. And I originally, I wanted nothing to do with it. I had, I had, we had a baby and I actually ended up quitting and basically being a stay at home dad for almost the whole year. And I finally got to that point in my life where people are like, you know, they tell you like, um, I'm like no stress, everything's going well. And I had no business ownership at that point in time. I took a break and then they like roped me back into entrepreneurship. And then it was just, it was, I say over in a way, but we started that business with just nothing but love and passion for CrossFit and Krav Maga and all this stuff. Not an ounce of strategic planning or understanding of, you know, opening your doors. All right. We just spent $40,000. Everybody's going to come here because they like us. And we were at the other gym and this is going to be awesome. And it wasn't like that at all. 
um, the passion quickly turned into long days of full-time jobs and all day at the gym every day. And um, having partners was also a big issue. And just, you know, like there wasn't a lot of overhead, thank God, for a CrossFit gym. Um, but that certainly doesn't mean it's going to be successful. And that was probably the hardest part. You, like it was a whole nother realm of things of throwing events and, you know, competitions and just completely different, didn't have any experience. And um, I was kind of scared at that point in time to really embark upon the journey of working with a three, two, one go project or any of these other, you know, business mentorship companies. Cause we just were too new. Um, and so, yeah, we just went in with all of that passion. Everybody had good jobs. Luckily nobody quit their jobs at the time to do it, but that's certainly, it didn't equate to much of anything other than turning a passion into something that was kind of not so much of a passion anymore. It's, uh, I, it is, cr- I'm interested to hear your perspective from having been in these two worlds. I have, I've done, I mean, I've done business coaching <clears throat> from a like 20 year old kid whose parents, you know, kids still in college and parents give him 50 grand to open up a gym all the way to guys got an MBA has, you know, worked as like a CFO of a company for 15 years. And, you know, like both of these people go into this, I'm going to open up, I'm going to open up an affiliate and it's going to be amazing. But in both scenarios, these people get in, like get into the day to day and are sort of like, Oh my gosh, I have no idea what I was getting myself into. This is insane. So from somebody who, you know, when you go to open up your affiliate, you've you've owned a business before. What what are some things that you potentially didn't foresee being involved with like opening and managing and scaling this brick and mortar gym? I I thought I thought honestly membership was going to be easier to do. I thought people just with everything going on, the people that we knew, not necessarily worrying about taking members from our previous gym, um, which didn't really happen that much, but um, I don't know. I, I guess we, everybody at that time, cause this was five years ago now, mm-hmm. four years, something like that. I think at that time, a lot of the gyms that were opening up were still thinking like, if you build it, they will come type of mentality. And it's, it's gotten really far away from that. I just didn't anticipate that. And then I didn't anticipate how much I didn't, I didn't anticipate how much relationship based like handling was going to go back into a gym member. That was something that I learned as a financial advisor on how to basically tap into somebody's dreams, desires, and goals and walk them through this consultative fitness journey to make them engaged and keep them going through your business. So those skill sets transferred over perfectly, but it was just a whole nother, just a whole nother world, like not realizing like how in depth that really needed to be in order for you to have those clients that stick around for a long time. Uh, and I just didn't anticipate that. I honestly thought you would open it up and market people will come in and work out and you wouldn't have to be so super involved in all of their personal lives and just, their struggles of weight loss and this, that, and the other, and all, you know, just all these, I basically become a therapist and I didn't anticipate any of that. And that definitely made it, um, just opened up your eyes completely different. It's crazy. Like while on one hand, it's, uh, it's a great business model. 
you know, as as you've probably learned in business, uh, recurring revenue is a great business model to have. I mean, anything that's subscription based or anything that renews things like that, especially working in the insurance world, right? This is one of the benefits right. of insurance is that it's just kind of like a snowball effect of recurring revenue. And that's a strategic advantage for any type of gym on a sort of macro level business model wise. However, it's a really interesting thing in the gym business. You basically have to, every time that person walks in the door, that's a new sales cycle, three, four, oh, five yeah. times a week. Whereas in insurance, it's like, Hey, once a year, you know, it right. basically kind of like sells itself. You know, I gotta, I gotta call you once a year and then it's, it's, it's game on. It's definitely a lot more relationship based in the CrossFit affiliate. Uh, I would say. Well, I, I think the biggest thing too, the, the biggest thing that I learned with this, with MDI apparel is regardless of whether it's a license agreement, like CrossFit is or a franchise. I mean, franchise is probably a little bit different. Maybe licensing is a little bit, but the reality is, is it's still, I leave franchise out of it, but the CrossFit model, there's nobody technically helping you when you start it. Right. So even though it's CrossFit and you know, it's um, fitness and all of these things, you still have to figure out, you know, who your target market is, what their problem is, what do you need to develop to fix that um, problem and, um, and then execute on it. And I think that that's what, what caused um, a lot of things to fail in other businesses. And I think that's the biggest thing that I see in the CrossFit community is they were, they rely a lot on just the name and what you do as opposed to figuring out some of those key indicators and really focusing in on, you know, what's, what's the problem in your community or in that 15 mile radius of your gym and how are you going to solve it? And then what are you going to do to actually execute on it? And I think, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's a big thing. Absolutely. So you had mentioned <clears throat> that, you know, it, it took you a while to like, reach out, get some answers or get some help, uh, when you were an affiliate owner. Uh, so what did that look like? What did you kind of look to when you realize that you're, you're butting up against these problems or, you know, you've got questions or maybe you're struggling to execute on something. What, what are some of the actions that you took to actually see some, you know, measurable improvement in these things? Um, honestly, we, we didn't do a whole lot. We just kept I reached out to a couple, you know, business mentorship companies and the price was just way too scary at the time. Um, you know, it's just lack of knowledge. And we just really, we watched the affiliate owner group and we just tried to execute and continue trying new things and pivoting as needed and, you know, coping with the partnership, um, you know, headbutts and things like that. And so I, honestly, we, we failed in a ton of areas with, with owning a CrossFit gym. It just, there was, I don't know. I didn't have all those answers. I didn't know other than going in and doing wads every day. Like I didn't know what we were, I didn't know what our goals were. I didn't know what we were. I didn't know what the end result was. I didn't know where we were going. I, I just didn't have any of the tools. I didn't know what our niche market was like just nothing. We're just flying blindly you know, re being reactive to everything that was going on around us. That's something that I see a lot. <clears throat> you know, you talk about spending time in these 
affiliate owner groups and things like that, it's 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 difficult because I know because I've been there before where somebody will post, hey, I did this thing. You know what I mean? Whatever the case may be, like, hey, I brought fried chicken on a Saturday and that turned into 38 new members. You know, and then you try it, and, it, and then you, you lose two members. Yeah, and then you try, and, it, and it's like I see a lot. It's like this shiny object thing. Like, hey, I'm not happy with my business right now, and Eli brought fried chicken on a Saturday and got 38 new members. I'm going to bring fried chicken every Saturday now, and it's like, oh, you actually have never like stopped to think strategically about this thing, right? Uh, there's a bigger issue at, at hand. Oh, okay, there's an interesting thing that I want to come back to on that front, sure. Eli, but. I want to talk about partnerships because we talked about this beforehand. I think, like you said, you start off a business. I remember, I'll say this. I remember my uh, attorney, when I was first starting my gym, was so, and we actually, on our, I'll, I'll say this, like a quick shameless plug. If you're getting into a partnership with somebody, I have, uh, I have uploaded a partnership questionnaire form. Uh, on our hub platform. It's an LLC formation questionnaire for partnerships, and it has literally every potential scenario that could go south with a partnership. So completely free, like uh, download that thing. And and I actually went, this is the exercise I went through with my attorney, and we were talking about all these insane scenarios, uh, you know, if a partner, you know, what are your roles? How do you kick somebody out of a partnership? What does voting look like? What does uh, what if uh, one of your partners gets divorced and the spouse comes after the company? All of these different things that on day one you're absolutely not thinking about. You're you're thinking about, hey, what kind of wads do we do? What kind of barbells do we want to buy? Do we do strength before the wad, or do we do you know do we do mobility class? Like these are the things that you're thinking about until things go south. And right, uh, so. Eli, can you can you speak to that at all? Like maybe gym owners that maybe find themselves in a partnership or getting ready to start a partnership. Do you have any thoughts or advice for us? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say not do it. I think that's everybody's gut response is they don't get a partner if you can help it. I mean, I do think partners are beneficial, but to speak to what you just said, um, you need a clear cut agreement on everything. Like even saying, you know what, I don't like you anymore as a business partner. Like this is what we need to do. And this is how we part ways. And you have to make sure that if we do part ways that you're not allowed to bad mouth or, you know, like just, it has to be written down. Cause we started our gym with two other couples. One immediately, we basically kind of wrote out of the business cause they were having issues that we never knew about. But the other one, they were like our parents slash grandparents to our daughter. I mean, they were there, they were not blood related, but they were in essence, blood. they were there when our baby was born. Um, and that partnership, they're gone. They're basically, they're not basically, they're a hundred percent out of our life. Um, and I guess mostly everybody can blame me because of my type A personality, but, uh, you know, the point is we went into it as kind of friends and family without worrying about the real true legal agreement of just, how do, how do we really keep it separate and just be able to come to each other one day and say, Hey, you know what? We love you guys, but this just isn't working. I want to do this. Just just do this and you guys can have it and like, leave it at that. It was, it was a fear thing. Like you didn't know how to talk to people once people started getting upset and there was no clear cut path 
to communicate. So having that agreement, regardless of really kind of what the cost is, um, I wish we would have had it because I think more importantly than the business succeeding, we probably would have salvaged our personal relationships, mm-hmm. um, even if we no longer had the gym, which I think would have been more important. So yeah, I think anything can happen. We we and we we never would have thought this would have happened with them, but but it it does. It, and I think that there are <clears throat> there are two near absolute truths with partnerships. That, and again, I mean. We're talking, I've done maybe 400, you know, talk with 400 gym owners, let's say, about this thing. And let's say half of those have had a partnership. Almost exclusively, there are two things that occur. And one of those is the amount of money that is generated by the business. Like that when you're talking about, hey, let's create and, you know, you're an investor in this business. Really, the path to that investor receiving a massive return on that investment or even a, a you know a sum, whatever their assumption of their return is going to be is going to be different. The timeline is going to be different. The amount of money that's returned is going to be different. Like all of these things. So that is almost absolute that right. either – on one hand, there is – not nearly enough profit to have a significant return on that investment or right. you know on the flip side of that in a great scenario there's a ton of profit being generated and now like anytime there's significant money involved people start to you know get weird people just get weird right well and we never learned how to especially without an agreement how do you how do you really define like who's doing what to get what percentage and and I and I was always it was always difficult for me because even if I wanted to step away, you shouldn't lose ownership of the business. Mm-hmm. But without those clear cut written things, it's, it's hard to tell your business partner, like, Hey, by the way, I don't want to actually get paid for coaching or get a, a salary anymore, but I still want to own the business. But once, once you're done doing all the hard work, yeah. <laughs> I still want my cut of the profits. Yep. Uh, having that discussion with a business partner who maybe is not as business savvy and you didn't write that down. Like, well, what do you mean? You can't do that. We're like, yeah, I can. I own equity in a business. I don't have to be here. You just don't pay me a salary and that's fine by me. I just, when you make that $10,000 profit or thousand dollars profit, I want my 50% cut because I'm 50% owner. So mm-hmm. yeah, ha- having agreement is hands down. And I think Eli, you bring up sort of my second <clears throat> Second, almost universal truth of of a gym or really any business as it relates to a partnership is that a singular person will need to emerge as the go-to for everything. That ship will absolutely need a captain. Now, maybe early on for maybe a year, you can just go all hands on deck. We're putting out fires. We're plugging holes as they go. But at a certain point, that business will need to hire either – you know. Either emerge that person from within the ownership group and be like, hey, you're the GM, you get paid a salary and all of this. Or outside of the ownership group, they need to completely relinquish control to a CEO. A CEO has to emerge. And uh, those two things, money will always be different than you think it will be. And secondly, a CEO will need to emerge. If you're starting a partnership or you have a partnership, one of those two things will absolutely happen and you need to know what to do about it definitely all right i want to uh all right let's go this route i i I still am interested in talking about your affiliate ownership but i want to take this route 
Sure. Uh, you had said. Uh, all right. Let's see. I'm just trying to think how to frame this as judiciously as possible. All right. You had said that when you were an affiliate owner, the you knew you needed help. The price tag of help scared you a lot. You know, you're freaked out by that. And I would say that that is the camp of most affiliate owners right now. They they know that there's help out there, but they don't want to spend money on it. And whether this is like seminar, uh, business coaching, masterminds, cheap online things, it's they're just free. They're like, hey, I'm struggling in my business. Why should I spend more money? Pretty common thing, right? Right. As somebody now whose business is predicated on convincing CrossFit affiliate owners that they need to invest money, what would Eli now, who sells to CrossFit affiliates, <laughs> who tend to be short-sighted when it comes to spending cash, what would Eli of today, who now sells to CrossFit affiliates, say to Eli back then, who was maybe a little bit short-sighted on how he invested his money in getting business help? How would you begin to frame that discussion now being on the other side of the coin? Um, I have a perfect answer for that. And because I still make this mistake today, unfortunately, with this business is I would talk to the people who work with the companies that you're interested in. And I would talk to three, four, five, ten. I would talk to as many people that use the companies that you want to use and get their feedback and see what they say, because then you're going to get a variety of cultures and regions and everything to where you're going to get a firsthand knowledge where 10 people may tell you, you know, like they're awesome and you better do it because if you don't, then you won't even be able to call me next year because you probably won't be in business type of thing. So the biggest mistake I would say is, I hate to say this, but like, don't talk to the company too much because we all have our great sales pitches, myself included. Uh, it's who works with us that you need to talk to. And that's something that even like right now today, uh, I am still learning that lesson and have made some recent mistakes in the last couple of months where I'm going to say it'll never happen again, but they'll probably just be a lot less. Uh, but yeah, um, don't talk. Everybody has a great sales pitch. Everybody has, I think, good intentions, but talk to who they work with. And if you can't find anybody that they work with, then, then run. Move on. Yep. <laughs> I love that. And also and also the bad reviews are really good too because I think if you don't have some bad reviews out there you're probably not doing something right if a couple people aren't hating on you as well is what I always say. Um No, no, so I could agree right away, but Yeah, no, I think the bad reviews are a great point, Eli, because if you don't have a if you don't have a bad review or people that are you know turned off by what you're doing, it, it means that you don't have a, uh, a culture or like a ideal client type. And, right. And you, Absolutely. And in business, like if you don't have your very specific client type, uh, you're just – you're going to be whitewashed. You're going to fade into to nothingness. And uh, like, I, like I've always said, when I teach somebody marketing <clears> – <throat> I'm like, do you know what? Don't if you if your personality and your if your like true nature is not this sort of soft, welcoming, hey, we are like the gym that's for everybody. This is 
fun and rainbows in here. But then people walk in the door and your shirt's off and you're doing three hours of training and your place is dirty. And like, if that's not actually who you are, don't market yourself that way. Because there are plenty of people in every city that would love to go to a bro, douchebag, no BS gym. You know, right. but you got to define, you got to define who you are, you know? I'm, I'm, I'll be honest with my business right now. I'm struggling with that a little bit because there are people who come on for all the reasons that we solve. Right. And then when you don't put the time, the effort, the correspondence with me and all of that stuff into it, I see some people, a handful of people reverting back to what they used to do, which they already admitted doesn't work. And then they go right back to doing it, but just with a different company. Yeah. And I've made all those same mistakes. And so we've been struggling in the last few weeks, last couple of months with some of these um, cases where it's like, all right, well, do we need to actually worry about them and pivot to try to like make sure we can be everything to them as well? Or do we kind of like just let them fall to the wayside in essence and just really focus in on the people who really get it and the people that are engaged. And so 90% of my brain says, forget about the 10% Mm -hmm. or the 50% focus on the other, you know, and focus on the people that really get it and that are actually communicating, corresponding, asking questions and trying. Yeah. And by doing that, you'll get rid of the dead weight that still takes time because they do in, in financial advising, you learn a, B, C and D clients. And the A clients uh, make you the most amount of money with the least amount of work. And the C and D clients are the ones who make you the least amount, but they bug you on a consistent basis. <laughs> so, um, yeah, without going off onto a tangent, basically, just like what you just said, just figure out what it is that you do. And if people aren't con- you know, kind of conforming or fall within that, that's fine. Those are probably the people that will say it doesn't work and this, that, and the other. And those are your kind of neutral or bad reviews and then you just keep going and you're focusing on the people that you know want to actually do something different that works i think that right there it you know we talk about okay so let's go back to this idea of you own this so you own this affiliate and you're popping in and out of these owner groups and you see that Somebody did fried chicken Saturdays, and that worked for them, so you try that. Well, you know, obviously fried chicken Saturdays is a ridiculous fake example, but, you know, we're seeing this with a lot of the marketing tactics that are out there. So, like, six-week challenges. I feel like every time I open up my Facebook news feed right now, there's another company that is (laughs) offering the same version of something else, and people are just getting distracted by all of these tactics, but... The reason I bring that up, Eli, is, is that you just mentioned something is identifying your A clients and doubling down on that, right? right. That's the only – that is marketing. That is all marketing is, is, hey, <clears throat> do this. Like your three favorite clients in your gym, take them out for coffee or lunch or dinner this week and be like, uh, why do you come here? Mm-hmm. You know, I think you kick ass. You you are my favorite client. Every time I see you, that is my favorite day in the gym. Uh, what do you think we should do to get more people like you in here? And they'll tell you. There's your marketing uh, strategy right there. Double down on that. And then you, and then the the biggest thing that, that that most like almost a lot of people, not most, a lot of people don't do is they don't execute. Mm-hmm. They don't go back and actually figure out those steps that it takes to actually move forward i dig it i dig it okay 
Uh, let's let's switch gears, Eli. I want to get back to you and talk about this shift back into the family business. So you this unfortunate like dissolution of the partnership in the gym. You look back toward the the family business, and you think this you know this is kind of bringing everything together for me. So talk to me about that transition back into uh, the apparel business. So um, it, we actually, I started this, actually, I started MDI Apparel for one of our members, one of our gym members, uh, because she wanted my help and advice with just like creating an LLC, you know, what paperwork you file with the state, so on and so forth. Uh, so not that I'm some mogul or anything like that, but I helped her start it <clears throat> and she just kind of did what she did with it and did nothing basically for about six months until I had my epiphany and my idea. And, and I, initially I didn't want anything to do with it because I didn't have, I, I told her, I said, you don't have that hook. Like, what's your hook? What's your angle? There's a million t-shirt businesses out there. There's a million crossfit businesses. There's a million business mentorship companies out there now. Like what's your hook and what do you specialize in? And she couldn't say it. So I just helped her do it. And then finally I found the angle. And I brought myself into the company as a 50% partner. And then about eight months later, I, I bought her out basically and took a hundred percent control. And the confidence of having been in the apparel business with my father for two and a half, three years and knowing what I knew about that and suppliers and just stuff like that. I knew nothing about printing t-shirts, but you know, that doesn't matter. Like you just figure it out. And um, I focused on, the niche, the target market, the problem that was that exists, the problem that we're solving, and um, having all those other experiences, knowing what not to do is what led to me being able to get back into this and feel confident enough um, that I basically went all in with it. I like that, Eli. Uh, so then, talk to us. What? So you've obviously been on both sides <clears throat> of it. You have been an affiliate owner, and now you're involved in the apparel space for affiliates what do you see as what are some of the issues because obviously you know the the apparel is a is a somewhat decent chunk of the revenue model for affiliates i've seen between five and ten percent of revenue can come from apparel in gyms so it's not it's not something to balk at i I feel like what do you see as kind of the strength of of affiliates as far as moving and selling apparel and where are some things that you can see us needing to step it up a little bit? I think um, the strength and the, and the benefit that affiliates have is the culture, the fanaticism, almost the cult like nature of CrossFit and fitness Mm -hmm. and the bonding experience that you have that people want to buy your stuff. Um, So the biggest so that's a strength, in my opinion. You have a captive audience that wants to buy it. You're not sitting there trying to figure out trends of retail models and what sells and doesn't. You can ask them and they get it. Um, where it becomes difficult traditionally before we came around as a company was, uh, let's say you have 250 members or even 30 members, 30 people want 30 different things. They want 30 different colors. They want different, you know, like everybody has, and it's hard to cater to it. And then all of a sudden you find yourself sitting around talking about t-shirts and figuring out how many you have to order and what styles and then getting the designs and mock-ups. And all of a sudden you find yourself feeling, well, 
this is not gym memberships. This is actually not paying the bills bills. So I'm just going to put that to the back burner. And that's where a lot of gyms, you know, struggle with it, big or small. And, um, and, and then the reality is, even though it can and will and is, you know, um, the reality is that CrossFit gyms, even with a couple hundred of them, to be, you know, retail establishments. They just don't have the inventory that you can effectively buy at decent profit margins. Um, so I do look at um, what a, what do you what do you call it? like client lifetime value? Yep. So if your members paying two hundred dollars a month, but you can get them into supplements and a t-shirt and something else, and now they're spending three hundred dollars a month without even realizing it. Um, you know that's the benefit. And with apparel, primarily, I see it more now, especially with our business model, as a way to actually generate profit but focusing more on branding and marketing where you don't actually have to instead of it being a cost center it's a profit center Mm -hmm. um so yeah there's i don't know if that answered the question no no that answers the the (laughs) question entirely I, i think yeah on the apparel front it's a difficult you know it's one of these things when you think about the amount of time that the average gym owner is spending spinning their wheels on it or the amount of money that they're paying somebody to spin their wheels on it uh, compared to the amount of profit that ends up. It, it's it's one of these things I think a lot of gym owners are just, like you said, put it off to the back burner. Whereas it could be this you know, potentially uh, very profitable thing that you can use to increase your average client value. It gets pushed back instead of not being used as a tool. Well, and the, and the biggest thing that we see with our most successful affiliates that use our business, the ones that actually sell the most apparel are the ones who actually don't look at it or rely upon it as a revenue source, but they look at it and treat it as branding and marketing that they don't have to pay for that pays them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, so it's, it's funny because those are the ones who are selling a thousand plus dollars a month on average in, in, in retail apparel. And it's because they don't focus on the revenue. Some of them even tell me, keep the commissions when I need coaches shirts and other stuff, just send me free. Um, and, and those are the ones who sell more, the ones who are like stressed out about making apparel, this huge profit center of the business. I hate to say it because some of them are probably listening, but I've been giving everybody tough love lately is that there's probably other things that they need to be working on to make the business itself successful where apparel really is just a fun add-on. I mean, I equate it to if you look at Spartan races and stuff like that, they started off doing that. They were very successful, but what, how are you going to get somebody to pay another $150 to do a Spartan race again? What are you going to do? They created mementos. They created the medals. They created more shirts. They created a differentiation between what type of event you were actually joining. And then people can post that stuff on social media. So when they look at their medal again or their picture, it brings up the memories of maybe they want to do another one. Yeah. And so I really do look at apparel less as a profit center per se and more as a way to have members commemorate the community that you've built. So when they wear the shirt six months from now and new members are there, they can be like, cool, where'd you get that shirt? Like, what is that? I don't see that for sale. And they're like, oh, we did this really cool plane pool event. We did this paddle boat race. We did. Um, and I think that's where we're seeing a lot of success with the, with the affiliates that are doing a good job with it. 
you know, I had lunch with a couple guys that were gym owners here locally, and one of the guys actually owns a an MMA gym, and they do like Brazilian, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, things like that. And, and he was talking to me about how that is a massive part of their business for the reason that you're saying right there. It's you know, they have belts that they graduate to. They need to buy a gi. They need to, like, it, and it becomes not necessarily, like, this is the thing that I wear when I work out. But, like, this is the marker of me being whatever this is. Like, this is the this is the marker of me being a jiu-jitsu player. This is the marker right. of me being a whatever belt, right? So it's it's more commemorative than it is like fashionable, I guess, for lack of a better right. term. So I want to hear. E- and you walk on that note real yeah. quick. Sorry, you walk around my town here in Rockaway and you, there's one MMA gym, pure MMA owned by Andy Maine and his brother, Mikey Maine, who's been on the, the ultimate fighter. He's fought in the UFC fights over in Japan, but you can hardly walk around anywhere in our area and the surrounding towns and not see somebody with their, with their pure MMA logos, like all over their hoodies and t-shirts. Um, so, I mean, it, it speaks volumes to get people in your stuff and have new stuff going on. I, I dig it. Uh, Eli, let's wrap up with this. I want to hear, what are some of the things that MDI is doing to kind of differentiate the apparel game uh, uh, for gym owners? So, we, we basically, we took the problem that exists with affiliate owners, which is inventory issues, losing money on inventory, uh, organizing and handling pre-orders and chasing clients down for their money. And then people want to add on to the pre-orders after you've already ordered it, which then turns it back into a, not a pre-order, but an inventory issue because you probably have to buy another 12, 24, 36 pieces. Um, we were the issue of like, you know, some women want a skimpy tank top. The other women want a t-shirt. Like there's just everything that you could possibly imagine. And then everybody says they want a different color, a different design and has a different opinion. So that's, that's a huge problem. It's what we experience. And then on top of that, most gym owners are not designers. They're not artists. They have nothing and no idea about any of it. And they usually, some of them have members that they trade services, but most don't. So then they go, all right, well, I'm not going to do it this month. And then they say, well, whatever. So what we've solved is we've created an ecosystem around helping them with designs. We provide stock images. We provide templated designs that they can use and modify all the way up to getting custom artwork done. And a lot of the times the artists are actually either CrossFitters or CrossFit gym owners. Um, More importantly, we offer them the online store. They have 60 plus different products to choose from. They can decorate what they want. Their members can go on and decorate what they want and they can purchase and buy what they want when they want. So you no longer have to organize the pre-orders or buy inventory because everything is printed on demand. So your member places an order, we print it, we pack it and we ship it to them. Um, what else? That's basically it. I mean, we're, we're definitely, I think the way we got in touch with you guys is we talked about the community aspect and branding and marketing. Well, we offer a great business model, but people need to use it as well. And so we're trying to go down the route of helping them develop blueprints that are necessary for communicating the benefits of our platform to their members on a clear and consistent basis. Uh, so not only do they have the power of the websites, but we want to help them communicate it more clearly to people. Um, Cause we still find people today that are used to the old way. So they'll, 
they'll advertise their event for three or four weeks and get a huge turnout. And then two weeks before the event, they'll go, Oh, I need to do a t-shirt. Well, everybody's mind has already passed that whole registration point. So they usually don't buy much. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's what we do. We, we basically take all those headaches and we solve it with print on demand capabilities, no inventory. Um, we're giving people the ability to have 60 plus different products that you don't have. You can put a couple up there. They can create it. Um, I, I like it at the core of it. I dig that, Eli. It's it's when you mentioned women's apparel, and that it's like you were in my head, uh, with with uh, yeah, trying to order and manage what women want is such a moving target. So I think that alone is is worth the cost of admission, Eli. So, um, Eli, where can people find you? Where can people learn more? Follow you? Uh, are you on social media anywhere, website, stuff like that? It's uh, mdiapparel.com. I think we're mdi underscore apparel on Instagram, Facebook. It's mdi apparel. Um, you'll probably find us more and more in the CrossFit affiliate owners forum when somebody asks about a t-shirt or an online store or something like that. And our name pops up quite frequently. Um, and like I said, I mean, I would say the best thing to do is ask about us inside the affiliate owner group and also um, any, any of the women owners that are listening to the, I think it's the box lady box owners, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I can say all the things in the world are great, but it's definitely good to get the feedback from the people that are using us. 100, 100% Eli. Um, awesome. Eli, uh, thanks so much. So again, mdiapparel.com if you want to learn more about what Eli is up to. Uh, Eli Slosberg, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks for tuning in and for your continued support of 321 Go Podcast. If you would like to support the people that support this show, head over to the show notes now and click on the appropriate links. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while and you know that it's time that you need to take some action on changing your business, I would strongly encourage you to check out our hub platform, 321goproject.com slash hub. It is only $69 a month and inside the hub is everything you need to run a business from business templates to marketing courses and everything in between. All that information is there in the hub. If you are a member of the hub and you want a little bit more additional accountability, check out one of our M3 groups. That's a Momentum Mastermind group. It is you and four or five other like-minded gym owners uh, just ready to crush it and keep each other accountable. Uh, 321goproject.com slash M3. Additionally, if you have not yet, please subscribe to this show and leave us a review on iTunes. That is how people find us, and that's how we continue to grow and bring on more guests. Again, thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.